0: Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Mill City Church. My name is Ashish, and I'm the worship director here. And I'm so humbled and excited to share what God has been teaching me through the book of John. Now, whether you're at home or you are driving, whether you're in your room or in the commons, whether you are with kids or roommates or even if you're by yourself, I know that the Spirit of God is present. And I believe that God has something really exciting in store for us today. But before we go through the message, I just want to pray. I don't know about you, but for me, the last 72 hours have been really filled with anxiety and stress just about the virus. But I also know that when we are approaching a Sunday morning, there are a lot of things that we can be nervous about or stressed about. But the beauty is, I think we have a God who holds his hands open and says, come lay those things at my feet. I am with you and I love you. And so before we start this message, I just want to try something New, I want you, if you, wherever you are, to hold your hands out in front of you. Unless you're driving, then don't do this. <laughs> hold your hands out in front of you. And I want you to close your eyes. And I want you to take a deep breath in. And take a deep breath out. Take a deep breath in. Take a deep breath out. One more time. Deep breath in. And deep breath out. Holy Spirit, you are with us. Jesus, you love us. And Father, you are in control. And so we bring all our anxieties, all our stress, the things that we're going through, and we lay them at your feet. You're God who says, come all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. You're our God who gives us peace. And so we bring those things before you, excited to hear what you have to say today. And so, Lord, would you guide our time together? We love you, Jesus. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen. All right, well, we are going through a time of Lent in the church calendar, and this is a time where believers all around the world gather together and remember Christ's journey to the cross and his eventual death and resurrection. Now, for some during Lent, they choose to give up something, and for many people, this is a way that they can create space in their lives to remember what God has done and what he will continue to do. Now, in my own life, I confess I didn't give something up rather I'm monitoring it. So I feel like there's like half a point here and there that I can earn. But the thing I chose to monitor was Instagram. And i chose to monitor Instagram for many reasons but one of the main reasons was this trend called Instagram filters. Now if you don't know what an Instagram filter is you'll see an image on the screen. Now what you'll see on the image is you'll see my lovely face. Now this is not the filter. This is real. My face is real. (laughs) And on top of my face, you'll see a rectangle, and in the rectangle will be a question. So this particular filter says, in 2020, I will be blank. And so what you do to discover the answer is you hit the box, and it'll roll through a bunch of responses, and then it'll pop out an answer. You'll see (laughs) that it rolled through all those answers, and for me, it said, in 2020, I will be rich. And you see how my face is just very content with that news. That that was pretty great. Now, these filters might seem really innocent, but for me, I got really obsessed with them. I started downloading as many filters as I could. I downloaded the filter that would tell me what Disney character I looked like. I downloaded the filter to tell me how old I appeared. And then I got super spiritual, and I downloaded the worship leader filter. And then I downloaded what filter would tell me what biblical character I looked at. Now, after a morning of spending 10 minutes scrolling through these filters over and over again, finding out what biblical character I looked like, a voice popped into my head and it said, Why are you so hooked on this? After a little bit of thinking, it struck me, though it was all for fun, I was being driven by this desire to know who I am. I was being driven by this question, Who am I? Am I rich or am I poor? Am I successful or a failure? Do I look 40 or 25? And the real question behind it all, do I actually look like Aladdin? (laughs) Now, out of the countless questions that bombard us in society, I believe this question of identity, this voice asking who am I, is one that we all have to answer at some point in time. As our lives change, and especially as we find ourselves in times of crisis, we are forced to grapple with how our identity is changing. Now, through our series as a church, we've been looking at how Scripture encourages us to let Jesus define this question for us. Whether you believe in him or not, he's inviting you to consider how he defines you, and that carries far more implications than a Disney filter telling you what character you look like. So our passage today is from John 10 and looks at how Jesus uses one word to describe that identity. And that word is follower. Now, like I said, our passage is in John 10. So you can turn to it in your Bibles or your apps. You can even log on to the internet and go to Bible Gateway and find the chapter there. If you also downloaded the lyric sheet, you'll see that the passage is at the end of that document. Now, John is the fourth book in the New Testament. We have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we will be in chapter 10. So I'll give you a moment to turn there, wherever you are. So before we read chapter 10, I want us to take a look at where we are in the story. Now, we step into a scene where the town is buzzing. Jesus, after just claiming that he was the light of the world, had performed the miraculous He restored the sight of a man born blind. Just imagine that Jesus restored the sight of a man born blind. Now in chapter 9, we read how there was such a commotion that the Pharisees and the leaders of the people got involved. And when the Pharisees found out that the man was healed on the Sabbath, a rule that Jesus clearly had no intentions of keeping, they were frustrated. Their legalism wouldn't let them celebrate what God was doing. So they questioned the man over and over again on how Jesus healed him. Who Jesus was with the overarching question being, is Jesus the Messiah? In fact, they questioned him so much, and this is my favorite part of the story. They questioned him so much that the man asked them, why do you want to hear the answer again and again? Do you want to be his followers too? At this point, the Pharisees just lose their mind. There's steam popping out of their ears. And they take this man and they toss him out of the temple. And this is where we come to chapter 10. At the end of chapter 9, Jesus takes that man who the Pharisees had just tossed out and says, Come, follow me. Jesus invites him to be a part of his kingdom. Now Jesus then turns to the question of whether he's the Messiah. And this is where we pick up in John chapter 10. Jesus tells the Pharisees, I tell you the truth. The man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The man who enters by the gate is the shepherd of his sheep. The watchman opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them. And his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus was using this figure of speech, but they did not understand what he was telling them. Now skipping down a couple of verses, Jesus again says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd that owns the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep and I must bring them in also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. At these words, the Jews were again divided. Many of them saying, he is demon-possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? But others said, these are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon." Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? So as we look at this question, who am I or who are we, the passage first tells us to look at whose we are. Now Jesus answers the question of are you the Messiah by saying, I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. Now in 21st century America, when I think of shepherds, I often think, of a man covered in mud, a man who's covered in sheep smell, and he's just chasing after the sheep. Or maybe he's just laying on a piece of grass, chewing some wheat. But in the biblical world, Jesus' claim would have carried a weightier picture. See, many scholars think that Jesus was referencing the Old Testament book of Ezekiel when he was talking to the community. Now, Ezekiel is in the Old Testament, and it's in a section of books called the prophetic books. And these would be passages that the people of Israel would be familiar with. Now, during the time of Ezekiel, the people of Israel are under Babylonian captivity. Here in the book of Ezekiel, God calls out the leaders of Israel for acting like bad shepherds. They were the ones who were supposed to be taking care of his people during this crisis. And instead, God calls them out for ruling the people harshly and bitterly, only caring for themselves. Now, because of their failure, God promises to save his people. God refers to his people as the flock. And in Ezekiel 34, 23, he says, I will place over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will tend them. He will tend them and be their shepherd, and I, the Lord, will be their God. And my servant David will be prince among them. Now, fast forward to when Jesus is talking. The people of Israel are now under the Roman Empire. They are still very much in crisis, longing for a savior. And in the midst of this crisis, Jesus references this passage and says, I am the good shepherd. And when the people heard that, they would know that Jesus is doing multiple things. First and foremost, Jesus is calling out the Pharisees for being the bad leaders, the people that were treating their own flock cruelly during this time of crisis. But then Jesus was also saying, I am the Davidic king that God promised. I am the Messiah, the promised shepherd that the prophets were talking about all that time ago. I am the one who you are longing for. You can understand then why this message created a lot of tension. Jesus was not saying he was a regular shepherd. Jesus was saying, I am ushering in a new kingdom, a kingdom in which I am the leader. But this wouldn't be a kingdom like the political kingdom the Israelites were hoping for. This would be a kingdom defined by love and by sacrifice, by hospitality and inclusion. I mean, just take the blind man a couple verses earlier, the one the Pharisees had just excluded from the temple. Jesus said, in my kingdom, you are included. And not only that, you are called to be my follower." So after Jesus makes this claim, he then goes on to describe how the shepherd would interact with his people. And these three things are important to consider as we try and answer this question, who am I? Now the first quality that would define how the shepherd interacted with his flock is that Jesus knows the sheep. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. Jesus knows the sheep. In verse 14, he says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. Now, when Jesus talks about knowing, it's not a knowing from a distance, but rather a knowing that is deeply intimate and personal. It's a knowing that is driven by care and by love. It's a reflection of the way Jesus knew and loved the Father in the context of the Trinity. So we have a shepherd who knows the sheep, And just like a normal shepherd would spend so much time with the sheep that he would get to know their marks and their likes and their dislikes, their personalities, we have a God who spends time with us, a God who is with us, a God who knows our doubts and our concerns. He knows our anxieties and the things that stress us out. He knows our desires and giftings. He knows the times where we've succeeded and the times where we've failed. And he loves us through it all. Jesus says the shepherd knows and loves the sheep. And if that was ever in doubt, we move to the, way, the, the second way the shepherd would lead. So verse 14 continues, And I lay down my life for the sheep. Not only does Jesus say he knows the sheep, but then he lays out to the extent to which the shepherd would care for the sheep. Jesus says the shepherd would lay down his life for the sheep. Now, that's a pretty mind-boggling statement. I was thinking about my time as a camp director. Now, those of you who have interacted with kids or even have just been around them know that kids can be amazing, yet they can also be incredibly messy. And I experienced this as a camp counselor. At camp, there would be the kid, and we'll call him the cute kid, who would run up to me in the morning, and he'd grab my arm, and he said, Ashish, seeing you is the best day of my life. And just like being rich was like, oh, this is a really nice thing. (laughs) Having a kid come up to you and say, seeing you is the best day of my life. That really just makes your heart full. Now, but for every moment like that, there would be the scarring ones. Like when I was called to a small group and I saw this kid who was just sitting there calmly. And he looked at me and I looked at him. And then when I drew closer, I began to see what was wrong. You see, he had puked on the front of his shirt and the back of his shirt. He had missed his shoulder. Now, physically, I don't know how that is possible. <laughs> Whether it was like a sprinkler action where he was like, and just, just missed everything. Now, if I was the shepherd in that moment, I would say, Lord, I would lay down my life for the cute kid. But the puke kid, I don't know. Like, <laughs> There has to be another way. But that's what makes Jesus so amazing. He knows us so deeply. He knows those of us who resonate with the cute kid. And he also knows those of us who have a little puke kid in us as well. And he says, I see you, I know you, and you're worth dying for. And he did. So the shepherd knows the sheep and the shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And then the last thing is in verse 16. Jesus says, I have other sheep that are not of the sheep pen. I must bring them in also. So the shepherd knows the sheep. He lays down his life for the sheep. And then the third way he interacts with the sheep is he invites those outside sheep into his flock. Jesus invites those outside into his kingdom. Now this is what he did just earlier with the man who he healed. He took this outcast and invited him into his kingdom. Now these three ways stood in stark contrast with the leaders of that day, especially the Pharisees. I mean, just recently they had thrown this man out. In contrast, during their terrible leadership in crisis, Jesus stands as the shepherd, the good. Now in Greek, the word used for good is kalos, which doesn't just refer to a morality of good, but it talks about the shepherd being beautiful, magnificent, and attractive. So when Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, he's saying, I am the beautiful, magnificent, and attractive shepherd. Now that doesn't mean just a physically attractive shepherd, like with long hair, tan skin kind of thing. But it's saying the way that I lead is so attractive that the only response people could have is to follow me. Now, against all other leaders then and even today, I would say a leader who loved me deeply, who would sacrifice their life for me, and is more concerned with welcoming people in rather than excluding them, is one I would be attracted to follow. So that's what Jesus is laying out here. He is saying this is who I am as a leader. And in the midst of the crises in your own life, he says, this is what I'll do. Now, the identity I'm inviting you into is to be my follower. So that's Jesus' answer to the question, who am I? Now, I've been talking about the sheep as followers, but if I'm honest, I much prefer the role of a leader. And I think many of us in Mill City are leaders in various shapes and forms. But Jesus is saying, you know what, I'm calling you to be a leader. I have gifted you to be a leader. But the identity I want you to take first and foremost is to be my follower. Now, this reality, it's hard. But if we choose to make our identity that of a follower, all of a sudden our identity is not based on what we do or where we lead, but it's based on who we follow. And that ground will never shake. So if we respond to his invitation and choose the identity of being a follower, How do we live into that today? Now, if you're taking notes, you can write down two things. We listen and we follow. We listen and we follow. Jesus says in verse 3 the watchman opens the gate for the shepherd, and the sheep listen to his voice. Now, this would be a common image for the people back then. The shepherd would know the sheep so well, and the sheep would be so familiar with the shepherd that they would be attuned to a specific whistle or call. In the same way, how do we live a life that is attuned to the call of our shepherd? How do we listen? Now, I have three things that have helped me in my own life. The first thing is realize the shepherd is speaking to you. Realize the shepherd is speaking to you. In my own journey, there have been times where I have felt distant from God or times where I've felt like I've had to get my act together and figure out all these things before God would even begin to think of speaking to me. But that's a lie. And that puts all the agency on my own end. The passage doesn't say the shepherd evaluates the sheep and then calls out the all-star sheep and says, you're in. No, he simply says he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. You have a shepherd who loves you deeply and delights in inviting you to know him more and discover what he's doing in the world. And it's not always a big life-altering thing, like leave all you own and move to a different country. Although for some of you, he might be saying that. Sometimes it's the small things. Sometimes it's God simply asking you to love your community in his name. Now, ways that you could do this is he could be inviting you to encourage a coworker, to listen to a classmate or a roommate. And especially during this anxious time, what if he's calling us to be a people that walks non-anxiously? To be a people that actually cares about our neighbors, to ask what they need instead of caring for our own needs. These are the little ways that God could be speaking to you and me. It doesn't matter whether you're seven years old or 70, whether you've been a Christian for two days or 20 years. He sees your background, your culture, your gender, and your history. And he says, come follow me. Come get to know me more. I love you, and I'm speaking to you. So we realize the shepherd is speaking to us. And once we realize that, here's the second thing. We let go. Now, if you're at home, you can hold up your hands like this and let go. One of the verses I am daily convicted by is Hebrews 12.1. Now, Hebrews is towards the end of the New Testament and is a letter written to Jewish Christians at that time. And in this letter, it says, Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. So what are the things that are hindering your ability to listen? What are the things that you need to let go of? It could be a bad habit or a sin, or it could be a really good thing that just needs to be prioritized differently. In my own life this week, it's looked like not checking the news first thing in the morning. Monday through Wednesday, I'd open up my app and type in coronavirus Minnesota, and then I just found that my whole day was rooted in anxiety. That was the only voice I could listen to. And so then Thursday, I decided, you know what? If I'm speaking about this, I might as well put it into practice. And so I decided I'm not going to check the news first thing in the morning. I'm going to listen to a song. I'm going to read my Bible. And I found that when I did that, anxiety wasn't the only voice I listened to. In fact, I was able to open up my life and say, God, what are you saying in today? So what if it's prioritizing a good thing differently? What if it's letting go and releasing our parameters of how we want God to speak? I find myself sometimes as a sheep saying, Lord, I really want you to speak, but only if it looks like this. What if it's releasing those parameters? What if it's surrendering your timetable of when you want God to speak? It'll be the most life-changing decision I have to make, and I'll sit down on my bed, and I'll look at my phone, and I'll say, Well, God, you have 15 minutes, and I'm reading through Leviticus, so... Floor is yours. Now, God can speak in 15 minutes, and he definitely can speak through Leviticus. But I believe he's inviting us into something so much bigger, if only we'd let go. And you'll find that when we posture ourselves by letting go, we actually open our hands to receive what God has in store. So we realize the shepherd is speaking, we let go, and then finally, we lean in. Now, I have fond memories of my grandma. I remember her for constantly beating me in Scrabble. She was a notorious competitor, and even when I was a kid, I'd be like, C-O-W, cow. And then she'd be like, seven-letter word, and just absolutely obliterate me. But I also remember her for teaching me the meanings of many swear words, and this would be all around the dinner table. She would just look at me and say, do you know the meaning of blank? And all of us at the dinner table would look horrified. We're like, what are you saying? Yet one of the sweetest memories I have of her is her walk with the Lord. She would spend time each morning in scripture, and then she would close her Bible and close her eyes and lean back. And if you asked her what she was doing, she would say, I'm leaning against the chest of my father, listening to his heart. Now, that's what Jesus invites us to do, to lean in and listen to God's heartbeat. One of the primary ways we can do that is by reading Scripture. Now, i got to admit, this is not the easiest thing. In my life, Scripture is really easy when you're reading the Psalms. It just really clearly lays out, God, you are my refuge and my strength. You're my shepherd. It's like a warm hug every single morning. But then you go from that to reading about Ezekiel, who was in exile, and on his 30th birthday, God asks him to be a prophet. Now, if you've read the Old Testament, you'll know that that is not a good birthday gift. (laughs) Now, during this time, Ezekiel, uh, God gives Ezekiel a message and tells him the terrible news that no matter what Ezekiel says, no one is going to listen to him. He was led through isolation and it cost him everything, yet God was still inviting him to trust him more. It's definitely not the warm hug like Psalms. And sometimes I'm like, God, what can I learn from this passage? Is there really anything that you can say to me from this text? Now, as I've gone through the Bible, there are a couple things that I hold on to. And this might help you in your own reading. The first thing I realize is that the Bible contains the story of God. Now, if you were going to get to know anyone, you'd get to know their story. In the same way, when we want to get to know who God is, we need to turn to his story. For our kids, we use this term, the big God story, that from creation to restoration, in scripture we find a God and we learn more about how he interacts with his people and how he will continue to interact with them. Now, there are messy parts and really amazing parts, but what you realize is that God is present through it all. So I'll say, all right, Lord, if this is your story, then there's something I can learn from it. And secondly, I've learned to ask two questions. The questions are, what do I learn about God through this passage? And what does that mean for my day today? What do I learn about God through this passage? And what does that mean for my day today? Now, it's not always easy, and it takes some digging, but I found that this practice has transformed my understanding of who God is. That he's a God who looks out for the brokenhearted, a God who stands up for the orphan and widow. He's a God who hears the cries of the anxious, and a God who can provide peace. He's also God who delights in us and sings over us. And I've learned so much more. For many of us as a church, we're reading the New Testament together. And as you do that, I'd encourage you to ask yourselves those questions. What do I learn about God through this passage? And what does that mean for my day to day? See what you discover. And so we realize that God is speaking to us. We let go and we lean in. This is how we live into our identity of being a follower. But there's one more part. We live into our identity of being a follower, not only by listening, but obviously by following. Jesus says in verse four, the shepherd goes on ahead of them and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. Now this would be an easy picture for the people of Israel to visualize. It would not be uncommon for the shepherd to simply whistle or call and the sheep would walk out of the gate. With the shepherd in front, they would follow. Mill City Church, when I think about a church who has spent time listening to God and following, I am humbled to be among you. Mill City, you have leaned in and listened to God's heartbeat for childhood hunger, and you followed. You've listened to God's heartbeat for clean water, and you followed. You've listened to God's heartbeat and walked alongside refugees and those without homes. You've walked alongside people in strip clubs and casinos. You've gone across the world and across the street. And the beauty is God is still saying, hey, I have more to do. I'm inviting you to keep following me. So when it comes to following today, I'm just going to offer two quick things. We are invited to respond and trust. Respond and trust. Firstly, Jesus invites us to respond. It takes hearing the voice of the shepherd and acting on it. A sheep would not hear the call of the shepherd and say, no, I don't feel like that today. No, a sheep hears the call and responds to the voice. If we didn't respond, we'd just be listeners, not followers. Secondly, following takes trust. Now, this is hard for me. I'm often the sheep that raises my hand in the back and says, um, Lord, I'd like to know what pasture I'm going to, and I'd like to know the five-step plan for getting there. Oh, and if it could be 70 degrees, and do you know what I'm dealing with? Oh, and especially if there could be no parallel parking. That would be incredible. But that's not trusting. It's not surrendering my life to a shepherd that knows me and would lay down his life for me. It's following knowing that the shepherd has the best interests of the sheep in mind. Psalm 23 talks about how the Lord is like a shepherd who will guide us by still waters and green pastures. And even if following him takes us into the valley of shadows, God says, even there I will be with you. I love you. I will not abandon you. And so Jesus invites us to take this identity of being followers, to listen and to follow his voice. The question is, are we going to? Now, four years ago, I was sitting in my room with a decision to make. I had a dream job offer on the table. It would be at a church that I loved. It would be closer to family, and I'd finally be in Green Bay Packer territory. You can boo me online, but I can't hear you. Uh, but at the same time, this intriguing opportunity popped up at this church called Mill City. I was really stressed. On one hand, it was a dream job I had been preparing for. Yet on the other hand, I could sense that God was doing something special here. And God was saying, hey, I'm inviting you into something. Are you listening? Now, because I was stressed, I said, all right, I'm going to listen and I'm going to turn to Scripture. And the passage for that day was John 21. In the story, we find the disciples fishing with no luck. And they're tossing the net in, pulling it up empty. And then all of a sudden, they see a man on the beach, and the man yells to them, throw the net to the other side of the boat! And the disciples say, well, what else have we got to lose? And so they take the net, and they throw it to the other side of the boat. And what they find is the net then comes up with all this fish. And when they see what just happened, they turn to the beach again, and one disciple yells out, that's Jesus! He's on the beach. Instantly, the disciples get in their boats and they row to shore. Now, as I was reading this passage, a verse stood out and the verse said the net was not torn. Even as they were dragging this large catch of fish, the net was not torn. When I thought of this passage, I thought of the net being what the disciples' livelihood was built on. And the fact that Jesus cared so much to provide them with so much fish, yet not let their livelihood crumble stood out to me. The answer to what did I learn about God in this passage was that he was a provider, that he would take care of me, that he was holding my cares and desires with me. I felt more okay considering Mill City. I felt like God was saying, I see your dreams and relationships like your family, and I'll take care of that. I'm inviting you into something here. Are you going to listen and follow? Now, I'd love to say that I followed the next day, dropped everything and called Steph, but I'm the untrusting sheep. That's like, um, Lord, if it could clearly say Mill City in the Bible, that would be awesome. (laughs) And if I'm gonna stay at Mill City, if I could have a five-year vision, you know, you gave a lot of visions to the prophets, if I could have that in my sleep, that would be awesome. But God was gracious and it took time and mentors and it took continued listening and journaling. And eventually I said, all right, God, I think you're leading here, so I'm going to follow. And I did. Now looking back four years from then, my life looks dramatically different than what I thought. I've been through incredible moments of joy and also deep moments of grief and loss. I've been through moments where I've found myself in times of certainty and also I've found myself in seasons of deconstruction where I've been forced to pick up the pieces. But what I've found is the good shepherd has been there every step of the way. In fact, the net wasn't torn. He saw my desires and concerns and has overwhelmed me with his faithfulness. I feel so blessed and grateful for where God has brought me, for this gifts and for this community. Through listening and following, I've come to know him more and more. It's like the best relationship that anyone can offer. And as I know him more and more, it helps me continue to listen to his heartbeat and go where he leads. So we're going to head into a time of communion and worship. The question we began with was, who am I? And the first thing we walked through was, whose am I? Whose are we? Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. He knows you. He laid down his life for you, and he invites you to be a part of his kingdom. Now, if you're already a follower of Christ and have chosen that identity, how can we be people that continue to listen and follow the movement of the Spirit? asking God, what are you doing and how can I respond? And if you're not, and maybe you've wandered away, the choice is before you. Jesus stands with arms open wide saying, I gave my life for you. Would you let go and lean into my love? Would you lean into my heartbeat for you and for this world? Would you become my follower? Mill City Church, when we get into a bind and are wondering, who am I? We can turn to John and say, I know whose I am. And because of that, I'm going to listen to his heartbeat and I'm going to follow wherever he leads. We are followers. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for who you are and I thank you that you are a shepherd who is good. I thank you that you are a shepherd who laid down your life for us and you're inviting us to be a part of your kingdom. You're inviting us to join you in making the wrong things right. And so Jesus, as we reflect through worship and communion, Lord, would you reveal in our hearts the places where we need to let go and follow you? And Lord, if we need to get to know you more, would we know that we have a God who stands with arms open wide and says, lean into my love, lean into my heartbeat for you. And so Jesus, thank you for guiding our time together. Would you guide our worship as we close? In your name, amen.